but because you went through all that suffering warning in the morning that night or wherever it is or when you get to a town and have your pizza or ice cream like it's so much more special and yeah and I thought about that a lot like why am I so bored in my normal day to day when things are comfortable because our lives are set up to remove some of that like dual nature of reality it's like every you know, I'm comfortable in my house I'm comfortable in my car I'm comfortable at work so then when I go back home to my comfort it's like well you've been comfortable all day so it's not a big deal so you know appreciate it Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Quadzilla, known off trail as Jack Jones. He transformed from a gamer into a through hiker. And in this episode, we talk about his adventures on the AT and CDT, touching on how fun it is to pack a bike through the Grand Canyon on the Arizona Trail and for some reason, we talk a lot about food, coconut milk powder and rotisserie chicken, eggs and bacon, and how inspirational an all-you-can-eat Thai lunch buffet can be. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Quadzilla. Jack, how's your drive? Oh, it is so long. I started at 4 a.m. this morning. Oh, Jesus. Where are you going between? I'm coming from Missouri, going to Durango, Colorado. Is is Durango where you live now? or? Yep, that's where I'm working now. One of the things that I noted, noticed in kind of doing some research on you is that you came to the trail via, well, I guess your your YouTube handle says it all, The Healthy Gamer. Uh, uh, yeah. Via, via gaming. Yeah. So, oh, weird. I just ran over a couple of weeks. So, I grew up playing a lot of video games and, like, to the point where it was debilitating my life. And looking back, it's interesting. I noticed I started really getting into EverQuest when my dad died when I was 13 and then I just played it like all day anytime I wasn't in school standing up like 2 or 3 a.m. on a school night playing that and like that went into college and I almost failed out of college because I come down to nine credit hours and I just basically didn't go into classes and like my roommate would come home he would go to bed he would wake up I would still be playing my game and then I would go to sleep <laughs> like that was how bad it was. That was World of Warcraft back then. Yeah, so I just like grew up like as a really shy, introverted kid, pretty depressed, a lot of social problems, anxiety problems, pretty typical of, you know, a lot of gamers. And then it was fitness that kind of turned my life around. And I started doing like bodybuilding stuff and it um, really showed me that like if I work hard at this thing consistently, I can get really great results. And then that was kind of where I started to take control of my life. So then when 
I finished up college, I have an accounting degree, and I didn't want to be an accountant at all. So I tried a bunch of different things, and um, I was like, hey, let's just take the summer off to play video games, as you know, as you do. Uh, and <laughs> I did that, and then I made just some random YouTube videos because I had a really good character at the time, and I just threw in, like, here's the gaming video, and then here's a little healthy YouTube. And that first video actually got a couple million views. So, like, wow. so, yeah, there's something here. Yeah, they didn't all go that great because I'm definitely not living up YouTube now. But, yeah, that was kind of how it started. And I made, made a couple hundred videos right now, blog posts. It's all around the idea of health and gaming. And I don't do, do too much with it anymore just because I don't have time to play games. And I actually found that playing video games for a living was kind of terrible, as weird as that sounds. But, yeah, that's still my YouTube handle. And I still put some videos out. I need to put a bunch of CDT videos out on there still. And then time to make it. But that was how that Puppy Gamer originated. What do you do now? Yeah. So after I got back from the CDT last year, I went and got an office job doing, like, Amazon for this online retailer. And it was horrible. Within a month, I knew. I was like, this, I can't be inside. It's I'm depressed again, it's just really horrible. So then when I finally decided I really needed to quit, I got an email from the Montana Conservation Corps. I don't know how they got my email, but they're like, hey, are you interested in this veteran wildland firefighting? So I took that as a sign. like, all right, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go do this thing in Montana. Um, it's actually in Helena, Montana. And that was one of the towns that I that we went through on the CDG. Actually, so in Helena, I forget about this. They have a sushi, all you can eat sushi, but not a buffet, but they'll like cook it to order for you. It's called sushi. And every hiker should go there because it's literally <laughs> like really good sushi in Helena, Montana, of all places. And it's 30 bucks all you can eat. Uh, wow. really but yeah, like I didn't know about that when I went through and that was really sad. But yeah, so now I'm working. So I did that. Uh, Montana Conservation Corps is a veteran wildland firefighting crew. I did that from like May to August and then that ended. So they're a mayor's sports program. Uh, that ended and then I came down to Durango, Colorado to lead another veteran fire crew. And yeah, do you want me to like go into the job or what that looks like? Or? If you want to. Yeah. So do a lot of project work. So primarily kind of chainsaws and you stay out for eight days at a time. Like right now we're working in Rocky Mountain National Park. So we're leaving again for that tomorrow. So we'll stay up in Rocky Mountain National Park for eight days. And just every day you go out, uh, we do PT physical training in the morning first thing. And then you go out on your project site and a lot of like fuel reduction stuff. So we're just cutting down uh, smaller trees and dead trees, clearing out the brush around so that if the wildland fire does come through, there's less fuel for it to burn. And the goal is to like, keep the big trees alive and clear out all the fuel so that a fire on the ground can't reach the canopy. Because once you get like canopy fires, that's when fires really become intense and hard to control. So that's a lot of what we do. And then uh, if there are fires um, in the area, we can go in and uh, fight them sometimes. And then also, we will do like prescribed burn. But it's, uh, okay. yeah, these programs with the conservation tour, pretty cool. And just like training, especially training you up to, to be wildland firefighter ready for like the federal government. Have you 
through this work been back on the CDT? I'm trying to think. No, I don't think we did any sections of the CDT when I was in Montana, but uh, we did get to do some trail work and build some culverts. And so it's pretty cool to like see the other side of it, see how trails are actually built and all the work that goes in. We did some trail up in the Beartooth where we carted like, I don't know, tons and tons of gravel up about a half mile of trail. <laughs> that made me really appreciate how much work, like just wheelbarrows full of gravel up the trail all day long. It's such hard work. Yeah. Well, I was in watching your videos on the CDT. I, I did not realize the distinction between a wilderness and a national forest, national park, what have you, in terms of the like uh, engine driven uh, versus hand held uh, tools. Yeah. And so I was, I was very much appreciating when they had when you were showing the the big hand saws, the logging saws that yeah. they have, I was just like, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they're cross cut saws, and yeah, there's like all sorts of certifications you get on those. And there's uh, one of my friends up in Montana, his girlfriend works as a, I think her position is a wilderness ranger, but they go out eight days at a time, like like backpacking, have all your supplies, and they'll have those tools with them. They'll be carrying like a giant cross gun and other people have hands on and they'll hike about a hundred miles to get clear trail like that. So it's like through hiking, but you have all these tools and you're cutting through the dead down as you go, like with your hands. So it's really Amazing. Great job, right? Yeah. Amazing. And I guess so often, uh, partic- my focus is particularly on the, the PCT and, you know, the pictures that I see always look so clear. But again, watching your videos and and some of the areas that you were bushwhacking and some of the areas where you kind of lost trail a little bit because it was so overgrown, I I have a new appreciation for what it takes to maintain those trails. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Glacier was okay. It was kind of overgrown. But then when we got into the Bob Marshall Wilderness, yeah, I, I think I got lost every, like, two or three times a day. And, yeah, like you saw in those videos where you're just walking over just, like, like a forest of down trees mm-hmm. and it's just incredible you know and then someone tell me in my hand they cut all the I don't you know how you do that I know I, I it's it's a perpetual never-ending job yeah it's just good job security I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah yeah and like it's really cool so like the Montana Conservation Corps they've got programs backcountry programs where you stay out for 21 days at a time back there clearing up the trails Oh, wow. I was I guess to get like pack animals to pack in supplies to them because I was like, how do you guys carry food for 21 days? But uh, I guess they figure that out. But yeah, they stay out there like 21 days at a time, like in box, just clearing out trail, which I don't know if that would be like great or terrible, but basically, it's you were with. No, it's so interesting when you, when you stop and, and kind of telescope out that. You know, the, the trails, the opportunity to hike the trails, whether it's the big long trails or, or some of the shorter trails, even, you know, we kind of take for granted what it actually takes, the people it actually takes to make those things passable. I know I, I certainly hadn't thought about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, definitely a whole new level of appreciation for just, especially like on the AT, where they have all the really nice shelters and the rock work that they do. Like, it looks so nice and pristine. And you think, like, each step you're taking took somebody a day to build, or, like, a group of people a day to, to haul all that rock up and put it in place and cut the logs and 
And you're like, look, this is one step. I got 20 more miles to go today. Yeah. Breathe right over it. But it's, yeah, so much work. So, so I take it you're, uh, you're loving the, the new office you're working in? I am. This is the first job I've ever had that I actually like don't hate. It, it feels a lot like through hiking because you're with like a community of people, like, you know, my crew, we're out. Uh, you camp when you're working, so we're just camped together. Like, you do your, you know, uh, 10 hours of work, which is actually much easier, not much easier, but it's easier than through hiking. And you have good, like, good food. So, like, okay, you know, if you through hike, then this job is like through hiking, but easier, but also really fun at the same time as you're still out in it, you still out on the trails, like, out in the woods. Yeah, I had, like, no complaints about it. You pay better, but that's about <laughs> the only only thing that uh, I would change about it. It's been really cool, and it's, it surprised me, because I'm 32, and, like, I just thought I couldn't, I wasn't a good worker, but it turns out I just was not a good office worker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. I, as I've gotten older, I have evolved into somebody who is not a terribly big fan of being in the office. Like, I don't mind the job. I don't mind the hard work. I just don't like being in the office. Yeah. I mean, my complaint is like most office work, you have maybe two to four hours of real work and then you're just sitting around. And yeah. Wasting time. So, yeah. And I, I don't think you and me are meant to be in any one place, especially a tiny little So I do bless them that because there are people who do that and and like doing that and thank God for them because then I don't have to. <laughs> right, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. Uh, I thought about that on the AT, and I went into the AT thinking it's going to be because that was my first trail. It's going to be a mm-hmm. huge accomplishment for me. Look at me, I'm going to conquer the AT, and then you go along and realize like, wow, if there want these people working this tiny little gas station and didn't get food. But there weren't these, you know, people at the grocery store or these people that made my tax. Like, I didn't do any of this alone at all. Like, it took thousands of people for me to be able to do this hike. And that, I don't know, just kind of show me in a bitter way how interconnected we really are and how we need everybody to do all these things and not just the, you know, super cool jobs that are important for the community. Really need everybody. Yeah, it's it's the I guess the perfect example of it takes a village. Yeah, exactly. What pushed you onto the AT, or or what what propelled you onto the AT? You know, I think I probably have different answers at different stages of my life, but I would say, I mean, a big so I left. I was born in China, and I left that at eight years old because I was adopted from China because my uh, father had protested the government during Tiananmen Square during 89. Um, wow. He wasn't, we weren't in Beijing, yeah, but he taught social science on our campus and he had a, led an anti, like a pro-democratic protest during that time and they threw him in prison. Uh, and from what I understand, he, it wasn't like a prison sentence, it, he was just in prison and they had, my family had to work really hard to get him out. It spent two years in there. They thought I would have a pretty bad life in China. So they knew some uh, people from the States and set all that up for me to be adopted. So I was adopted when I was eight years old. Um, and that, you know, that 
in retrospect, created quite a lot of trauma with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really hard for me to connect with people. And just to an extent, I still am working through those, but much better now, I think. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> then I think, you know, my dad died when I was 13. And just some of these other things, like, created a snowball effect where I became, had like this cyclical depression almost every year, like three or four months of just like debilitating depression where I couldn't do anything. And it was pretty bad in my 20s. And I think, I think I was really looking, well, I think we're all looking for something in life, right? But I think through these experiences, I don't know, for some reason, I was just really, really searching for kind of, you know, a meaning or a reason to life. I was like, everything feels empty, kind of this matter, it's kind of the teenage stylist, whatever stuff that you go through. But um, I think that was really what drew me to the AT because it was like this idea of like, maybe if I do this thing, then life will be okay. And I think from meeting other hikers, it seems like there's a lot of people who are searching for, you know, searching out there. You, take some pretty strong motivation to get you to go out to the woods for six months. And uh, I think people who are looking just for a fun time aren't going to last through the whole thing because it's definitely not all fun at all. I remember the, like, the last 700 miles, I developed the pressure to both my feet on 18. And it was just this, like, wake up every morning. I don't know if you experienced that on CPT, but, like, all your joints are just so stiff. And like my feet hurt so bad. And then it would be about an hour of walking before things like moving up and my feet went numb. And then I could walk for the whole day. But that was just horrible pain for the last 700 miles. But I think what kept me going was this idea that, hey, if I could complete this, then maybe it will fix some part of me that's broken inside. And I would say there was definitely a lot of difficulty at the end because hiking in itself is not going to fix you. But what it showed me was that I have the capability to face whatever problems that I have. Even though all my problems are still there, after the hike is this different understanding of, hey, you know, I can I can face these. Like, yeah, there's still problems. Yeah, there's still there. Yeah, there. But, you know, like it's found a little more confidence in yourself. Confidence. So that was really interesting. I feel like I'm really interesting now. You're fine. It, it sounds like you, the, the confidence that you built up on the trail, you're, you're more confident in yourself to solve problems, more confidence in yourself to get up the next morning and do the same thing, even when it's painful and difficult and all of that helped to translate um, back into the real world. And I, I love how you say, like, you realize that it didn't fix your problems, but it gave you tools to work on your problems, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I had a much more, like, robust tool chest with uh, and just understanding. I think, you know, through hiking, it forces you into so many uncomfortable situations. Like, you know, I had never hitchhiked in my life. I never, I never chose to go to sleep out in the rain or, you know, if it's raining, I'm just not going to go for a hike. I never like <laughs> run out of food in the woods because why would I not carry enough food in the woods? Like all these things, or you know, sleep with when there's bears and snakes and whatever around. But like 
things that seem really scary in your mind, and then you get out there, and then it forces you to face it, and you realize, one, none of it is as bad as you imagine in your head, and two, like, whatever it throws at you, your brain is so adaptive and problem-solving that you can figure it out, like, that's really cool, you know, I, I'm sure you at that where you're like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get into town, but then you come up to it and you just figure it out. Or like, I don't know how I'm going to do X, Y, Z, but you just figure it out. I think that's the coolest thing about your idea. Our, I don't know, our normal lives are so regimented and all the solutions are already there for us. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people maybe never discover or they forget just how awesome humans are at problem solving. It's like, I think that's a big magical way to get you know, I, I need to worry a lot less about whatever will happen because if it happens, I'll figure it out. Yeah, that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. No, and I think, honestly, I think that that is a superpower because I I know so many people who are so scared of trying something different or, or doing something different because they don't have that faith that they will figure it out. Yeah, I think, I think because I talk to a lot of people and they always, you know, they're like, oh, I wish I could do that or that sounds so cool. Like, I wish I had the freedom to go do that. But it's like, it's like you could, <laughs> you, you could do that, but it's here that's keeping you from doing this, right? So mm-hmm. I think what they're, I think what people are really after, they don't kind of say the adventure or the, the hike or whatever. What they really want is that freedom from that fear. Because um, yeah. I think that's really what's locking people back is fear. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's fear and it's, well, I guess it is fear of discomfort or, or being uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it, uh, though I have not through hiked, so just to be just to be clear, uh, I want to do the PCT or my, my goal is the PCT next year. Okay, cool. But, uh, but going out and doing a through hike or even doing a, a long section hike, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable uh it it's not going to be fun and games every minute of every day and there may even only be from from what i understand some days there may only be you know a couple minutes an hour of really really good but those moments are so worth all the rest of it oh yeah absolutely i think it's um Kind of, uh, you know, how there's like gravity and just all these natural laws. I think part of our universe is duality. And, you know, you can't have hot without cold. You can't have this without that. And through hiking, and you have so much just, I wish people could understand just how boring and monotonous it is. Like, <laughs> you know, literally, like 12 to 14 hours a day, sometimes you're just walking and like walking through Wyoming, there's just, nothing there you can walk like you can see to the horizon where you're walking to and that's where you're walking and there's just nothing and it's just hot and sometimes like random piles of mosquitoes that you know where they come from just come out and bite you <laughs> video where i'm just like running trying to stay away from mosquitoes it's just horrible but it's like you have all those moments and then you get to camp and you can just sit down and relax and look at the stars and it's like because you went through all that suffering boring in the morning that night or wherever it is or when you get to a town and have your Easter ice cream like it's so much more special and yeah and I thought about that a lot like why am I so 
bored at my normal day to day when things are comfortable is because our lives are set up to remove some of that like dual nature of reality. It's like every you know, I'm comfortable at my house, I'm comfortable in my car, I'm comfortable at work. So then when I go back home to my comfort, it's like, well you've been comfortable all day, so it's not a big deal. So you know, appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's I th- I think you hit on a really interesting point of when everything is comfortable, it's sort of like that becomes almost white noise. And so to get out of the white noise takes something extraordinary. But a lot of times when you're in the white noise, you don't even realize that it's white noise. Right. Yeah. And it just kind of dulls your senses. I would notice I feel much more alive when I'm out on the trail or on a through hike. And I think it's, yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but I think it, it has to do kind of with that white noise. You're just experiencing more, feeling more. A lot of mm-hmm. it is pain and discomfort, but at least you're feeling it rather than being just yeah. insulated from everything. Yeah. When you were doing those last 700 miles of the AT, like what was what was the carrot or the stick pushing you forward? Was it just doing it, getting there, completing it, or was there something else? Yeah, you know, because I by that time I definitely didn't really want to be out there anymore. So I started. I read uh, a couple of books on the AT. I think I read like a walk in the woods and all that, and then. It was a pretty spontaneous decision. 45 days later, I was out on trail, and that was like middle of May. I started in spring here. So then I got up to Harvard Ferry on August, and I flipped. And I took really took my time through Maine uh, and Hampshire. I like, did a bunch of like six or four mile days where you just go to the oh, next wow. pond in Maine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, so many really beautiful ponds out of Maine, and so you could go from one to the next just all day, like swimming and hanging out. So I, I probably did that a little too long because then <laughs> it became winter. <laughs> so I was getting like Illidan through Vermont and Massachusetts, and it's just super cold, and nobody was out there. I was just hiking by myself. I also made the really dumb decision of sending home a bunch of stuff to save weight. So I had a really heavy pack. I got started out with probably a 35 pound base weight. Oh, wow. Camera stuff. Yeah, and I was, I had been in the army, so I was like, whatever, we carry a 50 pound pack. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so that was probably what contributed to my stress fracture, but I still had a pretty heavy pack. But I sent home seven pounds of stuff, including like my tent and my jet foil and all of that. So I should have definitely not sent home my tent, but that forced me to just walk from shelter to shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I did four miles, and then I was just, like, sitting inside the shelters, you know, in November, eating this cold, rehydrated meal of ramen and mashed potatoes, and it's, like, so sad. <laughs> Shipped to the shelter it, by yourself. Like, it does sound sad. Days. Yeah, I, I did that on Thanksgiving, too, and it was, like, the saddest day ever. In the shelter, by myself, eating cold ramen. Yeah. On Thanksgiving. That's not very cheerful. Yeah. But in doing that, I mean, because that... That sounds like an extra extra level of pain, suffering, um, getting getting one to one with yourself. Yeah. What What did that pull out for you? Um, you know, when I started, I just had this knowing that I was going to finish. I don't know where that came from. 
And I don't know why it was so important for me to finish, but I just knew that I wasn't going to quit. And I, like, it was painful, and it was cold, and it was lonely, and it got dark like five. So I was walking yeah. four or five hours every night, too. But part of me, like, relished that. So I don't know mm-hmm. why that is or why I have that, but I, yeah, I tend to enjoy really hard, painful things like that for some reason. I don't know if that's just a character trait or if that's something I've developed, but like with Arizona Trail, if you're on a bike, you have to carry it through the Grand Canyon. <laughs> My bike itself weighed 45 pounds, the full steel, fairly ECR, extra large frame, which I'm pretty sure is the heaviest bike to be carried through there because <laughs> literally don't get heavier than that. <laughs> But so I carried that through the Grand Canyon. It was like 22 miles, 6,000 mm-hmm. feet down, 7,000 feet up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was all hanging awkward. So I'm sure it was the actual weight of it was much more. It was like the pack itself was like 85 or 80 pounds. It was all awkward, weird weight. But something about that, like, I enjoy being able to do that. So I, I can't articulate why, but that's. I think that's a lot what drives me through when things get really tough. A part of me tough to lie. It's like, whoa, this is cool. It's really tough and painful and it's cool and I like it. So I don't mm-hmm. know what that is. Oh, I I hear you. I I get it. I get it. But it's it's a good, useful, helpful, whatever thing to to learn, to understand about yourself. Yeah, it definitely is. And it I think, you know, it's kinda of like a muscle, your ability to tolerate pain and discomfort grows with you as you experience more of these things. I'm always yeah. looking back, like, with this line of work. Like, it's pretty hard work, but every day I'm like, yeah, that's not nearly as hard as thriving, so whatever. <laughs> and then it makes it feel easier. It's not as hard as carrying a 45-pound bike down and up the right. Grand Canyon. Exactly, yeah. Like, this chainsaw is only 20 pounds. What's the big deal? <laughs> Easy. Easy. Lightweight. <laughs> now, and you finished the AT on November 29th. Yes. At that super moment. Super cold. Yeah. Super cold. Um, at that moment, did you know what you were going to do next or that you were, that you were looking to do the, the Continental Divide Trail or was it just, okay, I finished it, get back to the real life and, and keep moving forward? Yeah. No, I had no idea. Um, I feel like looking back, my mind was a lot more disorganized back then, but I'm sure if I look back in five years, I'll feel the same way about myself now. But I, yeah, it was kind of like I went out there um, without a plan, really, very spontaneous. It was, you know, I read the books, and then 45 days later, I was out there. And I had been doing startup stuff previous to that. And I don't know, I just got kind of sick of all of it. But I, I think I had in my mind, like, okay, I'll go do the AT, and then that'll get whatever this is, travel thing out of my system mm-hmm. and I'll be much more confident and much more, you know, harder worker so that I can get back into the startups and just make a bunch of money. But so that's what, you know, I came back, um, had an apartment in Missouri still. So I came back to that. My girlfriend at the time um, still living there. So I came back and I tried to get back into like the business world, but just I couldn't get any traction. I would maybe then two or three days working on a project and I just um, would have no energy for it. Um, and so <laughs> that year I just spent 
I think I came up sometime in the middle of the year and just played World of Warcraft, just, you know, the new expansion. So I just mm-hmm. played that for the rest of that year. And it was, uh, yeah, I felt like I had made so much progress on the trail and then completely reverted. Uh, but then I went to a 10-day Vipassana uh, silent meditation retreat in Illinois. And that kind of, you know, gave me a lot of clarity. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? I'm just spending all day playing video games again. Not the person that I want to be. I don't feel alive. I've been pretty depressed again. Um, I thought things would be different. So I need to make a change. And then that was when I kind of this idea of, oh, I want to go, um, I like to go hike the Arizona Trail and then hike the Continental Divide. And then that morphed into, it would be kind of cool if I could bike from the Arizona Trail to uh, whatever, Canada, and then hike. And I was like, well, I should bike the whole thing. So, like, there, yeah, 2018, went to bike the Arizona Trail and biked out to the Pacific Coast Highway and up to Canada and then hopped on the Continental Divide Trail from that. But yeah, it was definitely not my plan from the AT to like, I, had, I don't think I even knew what a triple crowner was, or that. <laughs> I, I think I knew the PPT existed, but I definitely mm-hmm. didn't know the PDT existed. <laughs> so, yeah, it, definitely. I'm gonna say it almost sounds like your your uh, your flag is when you start to revert to uh, World of Warcraft uh, playing consistently. It's time for you to to step back and go, okay, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I need to, I need to rethink what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I, you know, it's, for me, that's my coping mechanism, I suppose. It, exactly. it very easily have been drugs or alcohol, but I think it's, yeah, it's what my life isn't, how would I, what I'm trying to escape my life. Yep. When the video game came in. Yeah. That's a very clear sign that I need to make, make changes. Yeah. Well, and I feel like a lot of times, like social media or watching YouTube videos or, you know, that type of thing do a similar thing. I, I know for myself personally, like I find myself just constantly on Instagram or YouTube or like flipping between the two when I'm trying to avoid something sure. <laughs> or when I don't want to do something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very, so like with the meditation retreat, the, for teaching is that um, you know we have these emotions and whatever arise and then we have either craving or aversion to them and mm-hmm. then that's kind of driving our action so like we're doing things to avoid these feelings that we don't like and then we're doing things to try to get more of these feelings that we do like and if we can just become aware of it then you can cut off that cycle because that cycle is really what causes suffering and it's been very interesting having you know uh, done some of these retreats that does the practice how like I can start seeing that cycle in myself and it's this idea you know like it's the same really that same cycle that drove me to do these hikes and that's why at the end they a lot of times feel anticlimactic because you know there's never anything you're going to do externally that will make you okay on the inside like you have to kind of find that room within mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's it's interesting to be able to see that and to be able to cut the cycle and to like now I'm playing video games for a really long time because I'm not trying to escape my life or my feelings. And yeah, it's 
a really interesting thing. Yeah, I had a, another friend from the AT, um, no, Shatterproof. And he had also gone to one of these retreats, and we both agreed that doing 10 days of that had a more beneficial impact on our life than hiking the entire AT. So, <laughs> <laughs> something to think about, people. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, uh, I think the, the retreat hits on it very well that it's about awareness. Yeah. You know, and, and in the face of awareness, giving you the ability to have a different response. And I know like for me personally, as I've gotten older, um, that's been one of the best things about getting older is the ability to not automatically do something or to, to not be afraid to uh, experience it and, or to examine you know, if, if I have an immediate response to something, whether that's good or bad, it's like being able to examine and say, why, why do I have that response? And then secondarily, is that response serving me? You know, is it, is it helping me get to where I want to go? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's so powerful. Yeah. Uh, once you realize how much of your actions is driven by these unconscious responses. I know. It's, when you start actually paying attention, it's kind of scary how <laughs> much you just don't even think about. Yeah. Yeah, it really is like that movie with uh, all the little emotions in your head, like, driving you. Like, yeah. I lived a lot of my life. Like, wow. Crazy. Very true. Now, I, I, as you pointed out earlier, you, you still have some videos to get up about the CDT. Sort of the, the yeah. videos that you have up there sort of leave you off in the middle. Not even in the middle. Per se, <laughs> yeah. I think I got, maybe got through Montana, or yeah, pretty close. Yeah. But one of the th- one of the things that I did notice about that is, and I think you were in the videos you were you were commenting on it as well because because the people that you were hiking with were were kind of uh, making fun of your your dietary choices. But it but it, you did have a really interesting menu. We'll call it. Uh-huh. And and things that I don't necessarily see a lot of people carrying out on the trail, like hard boiled eggs and 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 chickens uh, and watermelon. Yeah, broth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and my big question because it's looked amazing, and and certainly it looked more healthy than the standard high carb diets that most people are on uh, when they're out there. How did that work? How did it hold up? Once you, you know, once you were a day or two out and. Yeah. Oh, no, I could talk so long about hiking, nutrition, and fitness. But I feel like those are two really big areas that more good information needs to be put out. So I have a, I have a background. I opened a, I had a CrossFit gym in 2014, but people shouldn't judge me for that. It's, just, <laughs> it's a good, it's an interesting business model. I'm, yeah, I'm not one of the, people uh, but you know I've been a personal trainer for a long time and really interested in nutrition and all that so I kind of took that with me into the through hike and so yeah what I like on the AT I just kind of went back with my diet and I was like it doesn't matter I'm hiking you know doing so much exercise whatever I can eat whatever and I like made it a point to get a pint of uh, like Ben and Cherries or whatever other ice cream is cheap and 
every time I came into a town, uh, there's a lot of towns on the 18th. <laughs> there are. I got, yeah, I got fatter. Like, I lost muscle and I gained fat by the time I finished oh, no. the trail. Yeah, and I felt really horrible and I had pretty bad post-trail depression. And it took really months to feel normal again. It was one day I had this light bulb moment. I was like, oh, well, what if I stopped eating the sugar and pizza that I got used to eating on the trail and started eating like I did before? And like a month later, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I feel so much better. Of course, my diet impacts how I feel, even if I'm, you know, doing through hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's like gross, but towards the end of my hike, like my just stomach was just so horrible. I don't know. I think a lot of other hikers experience this too, where you're just like not able to really keep things down as well. And you have to go to the bathroom all the time. It's just, just you know, like you have to reflux. It's just bad stomach problems all the time. Like, well, of course, we've been eating nothing but processed carbs and sugar for months at a time. Of course, you know, because I like that. And so my real goal, like on the CDT, was if you want to get just a lot more fiber, I think that was just something almost completely missing in hiking diet. Um, get a lot more vegetables than I can. Get a lot more um, good fats and good protein. And really trying to avoid sugar and processed carbs as much as possible. And I noticed a huge, huge difference just in how I felt. So like on the AT, you know, it took me six and a half months to do it. And on the CDT, so I got off the CDT in Chama, New Mexico, because I picked up Giardia. Uh, but that was unrelated <laughs> to my diet. <laughs> right. That was just well. so cold. Yeah. I'll tell that story later if I want. But we did about 1,900 miles in 90 days. And that was, uh, we took a bunch of zeros, too. So we were mostly hiking 30 to 35 miles a day. Wow. Uh, I think we did one stretch in Wyoming where we did 210 miles in five and a half days. And that's because, so there's a type of bay, and I forget the town, but it's in Wyoming, kind of towards the southern part of Wyoming. And they do a lunch buffet Monday through Friday. So we left on a Sunday. We're like, okay, this buffet, we got to get there by like two o'clock on Friday or else they're close for the weekend. So we booked it. <laughs> It was like almost 40 mile days every day. Um, I don't think I could have done that on my on my other sugar-filled crap mm-hmm. diet. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of like, I tried to do, you know, a good amount of like chia seeds, black seeds, just put them in a little shaker cup and they'll rehydrate a little bit. And then I can add some like uh, cranberries, which are have sugar, but at least it's a fruit and they have fiber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like some coconut milk, coconut milk powder. It makes this like really calorie dense, uh, high fiber, decent amount of protein thing. So I would do that for like breakfast or lunch or just snack. And then just a bunch of mixed nuts. And yeah, I carry like usually for the first day or two, I'll have eggs. I might bring out broth to boil them with my jet boil or I'll microwave them uh, back in town. And I'll just have a bunch of cooked broth because they eat pretty well. Uh, carry out bacon. I did a lot of bacon on my bike trip because uh, they're more, hmm. more grocery stores. And yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to there. Yeah, so I would like debone the entire chicken, and the chicken would usually keep for like two or three days. I think probably three days is about the most I've had unrefrigerated chicken out there. And I don't know, I've never gotten sick from that. 
but I also have a pretty strong feeling, I think, except for <laughs> when I get shared, yeah. But that's the only time I've ever gotten sick on the trail. So I think, you know, a lot of these, like, meats and uh, eggs and whatever, it's really fine. You don't have to worry too much about it. Just as long as they smell okay, you'll be good to go. Um, yeah, so a lot of, I try to really go for, like, high-fat, high-protein kind of food. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. I would a lot of times carry an entire, buy like a pound bag of kale, and I just eat that for the first two or three days. Like, if I'm eating my, whatever, my brat wrap, I'll just eat handfuls of kale. Did you cook? Did you pre-cook the brats, or were they just pre-cooked when you bought them? Yeah, I did. So I would, a lot of times, like, just microwave them in the mm. hotel room. Okay. But be careful when you do that, because they create a big mess. So you yeah. got to figure out a way to collect all the grease and all that. But that's, uh, you can definitely do that. You can also microwave eggs. So if you just like crack a bunch of eggs into a Ziploc, you can microwave it. And it becomes this like fluffy omelet like texture oh. thing. Yeah. So easier way to carry eggs. Yeah. Um, I also saw you at one point you were carrying out a package of frozen, I think pre-cooked frozen uh, either chicken or beef strips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are great because they stay cold for like a day or two and they're really delicious. Cause just, I think they were just chicken strips, just frozen okay. cooked chicken strips. Yeah, with those in wraps or whatever. Just kind of as they start melting or whatever. Did you also use that bag potentially as a way to keep some of the other food a little colder, like pack it in the middle of your backpack or something like that? And Oh, that would have been smart. No, I didn't do that. But <laughs> that would have been smart. <laughs> I just used it as a trash bag with David Vinci, I think. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. No, I, I guess I was just I was just thinking back to um I wanna say it's in maybe your last video, you had uh Flyby had gotten some beers from somebody and uh, so she had oh, packed yeah. it in the center of her pack uh to keep them cold and so when she was pulling them out, like she was literally throwing out literally all of her clothes and everything like that in order to get back down to the middle of her pack. It was pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, man, that was, you know, I, it was just so comical for me. We were just, we come up to her, like, what are you up to, Flyback? She's like, oh, hold on, I got some beers for you. And then she unloads her entire pack onto the ground right there. Like, why do you have the beers at the very bottom of your pack? She's like, oh, it keeps it colder. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. But you just, unloaded, <laughs> like, upended your entire backpack right here. <laughs> I know it was it was really hysterical because she literally just like was pulling clothes or or whatever out of the bag and just literally just kind of throwing them to the side. It was yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> I'm really glad you found that. Yeah, cause, like I don't know if anyone else is going to find it funny, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, it just goes to show you, like she was so unconcerned you know, about it getting dirty or, you know, some, you know, whatever, uh, with it, um, which is actually kind of cool in the, in the scope of how, how careful we tend to be with things. Yeah, no, it's cool. Like that was her concern. She wanted to keep the beer full for us. Like she yep. cared about that more than all the trouble she'd have to go through packing and unpacking. And yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, and also, yeah, to your point, like, it's cool when you can let go of that need to be clean and have all your stuff be clean and just be okay. Like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. And you're just out there and you're cool with it. Oh, that just reminds me. 
reminded me of like I don't know if you noticed in hiker pictures. I noticed like people always stand super far away from each other. And all my pictures <laughs> I have with my hiking buddies, they all look so awkward because we're like, and we're not. And I have asked people, and it's not a conscious thing. Like you just don't stand close to each other because you know how bad you smell or how bad taste smell. <laughs> but you would think that in how bad that everybody smells that it would sort of just intermingle and and you wouldn't be able to smell it yeah but it doesn't sound like that's the case yeah well i don't know i don't really notice people no you definitely notice how bad people smell but i think it's more of an unconscious thing so i always ask people like we're like oh i don't even realize i'm doing that but i think yeah it might be a thing like you don't want to subject your stitch to other people so right. everyone's doing that, and you just all have your little hiker bubbles. It just makes the picture really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, Everybody's got their little bu- bubbles. Yeah, it's like, you guys like each other? Like, yeah, yeah, why? <laughs> Standing so far away from each other. Like, oh, okay. I can see that. <laughs> oh, my God. That is pretty funny. Now, did you pretty much hike with, with two other people for the majority of the trail, or did Flyby join you for... Once she joined you for the rest of it? Yeah, so it was uh, started easy alone and then met up pretty quick with Will, who was a uh, math teacher from New York City doing a section. Mm-hmm. And then we met up with B and, uh, uh, excuse me, B and Tom Tom. Uh, they had done the DCT together and they were a couple. And we met them um, going through the Bob. And then we pushed up Heather. So we had a group of five of us going through the Bob, which is really nice because the Bob Marshall has about a population of about a thousand grizzly bears. Um, uh-huh. You can see their tracks and their scats everywhere. Like the paw prints of some of these bears are just gigantic. Uh, we never actually saw any, probably because we're in a you know, pretty big group walking through. I'm so happy to have people camp with through the Bob. But Flyby was like, a week behind us, so she went through all that, like, looking at our, or not a week, she was, like, a day, or pretty close behind us. She would just be looking at her footprint. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I knew you guys before I even met you from your footprint, and camping alone, like, through that grizzly country, and she's a really small girl. She's, you know, probably 100 pounds and pretty little. Mm-hmm. Imagine me out there by herself in grizzly country. She said she, uh, I had to build a fire every night, and basically had to just fall asleep from exhaustion because she didn't, you know, she was like every little noise looking her like, is that a bear coming to eat me? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So she was pretty happy when she found us and joined the group. I don't know, Montana and CDT is definitely different from the other trails. We have to legit worry about grizzly bears and um, it's just so much more wild and it feels much more I don't know, the risk level feels higher and it feels more like visceral, like, yeah, I could die. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, you're up so high too, and it's normal that there's just no cover and no, uh, you know, no margin, I guess no margin for safety. It's, I don't know, it just feels like a much more raw trail, which is cool, but it's also, it was definitely more stressful at some point. Yeah. Uh, to see, like, yeah, if I turn it anybody, I just die. Now, I, I did notice in your videos that, I mean, even though you guys were, quote unquote hiking together, there were a number of times that you seem to be hiking by yourself, um, 
or or some of the other people seem to be hiking by your by themselves as well and then you guys would kind of you would get off trail and you would have to bushwhack and whatever and then you would somehow find your way back to meeting um or camping together but that wasn't necessarily every night though either it didn't look like was that correct yeah so i like to uh, i don't know everybody has their own i guess some people do like hiking all day with their group but I think that would, that would drive me nuts trying to follow someone else's pace and like stop when they stop and whatever. So we would just all pick like, okay, here's where we're going to camp and then just go. And usually fly by would always wake up early. So my thing was I would just walk until I hear camp. <laughs> and that's how we would kind of do it. You know, whoever's ahead, find a good camp spot and everybody else just walk until you find everybody else. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of nights where Yes, I don't know. Sometimes you're like, well, should I get ahead of them? Once it starts to get towards dark, you start to question yourself. Um, sometimes you're like, I don't think they're up there, but then they actually are, so you can get by yourself, and they're actually like a mile ahead. So, yeah. That's a perfect system, but it works out pretty well most of the time. I guess to talk about that system a little bit, like how, particularly because you guys seemed to be bushwhacking a lot, and I, uh-huh. however, that you got off trail or were choosing to, to, uh, go a little bit different of a trail, though that seemed to be a pain in the butt too, because of the, the blowdowns and all of that kind of stuff. But how could you tell if you were the, the front of the group or not? Yeah. You just kind so, of go by feel. Yeah. Well, like you, uh, generally know, well, you could fly by, which is always be in the front because you do it that. Way early, so I was like, "What up?" But you can also, I would always like you learn what everyone's um, track, what their footprints look like. It's mm-hmm. like you know, when you have the ultras, you've got that little little foot inside your on your shoe print. So like, okay, that's B's ultra, that's Houndtown's ultra. Uh, so you pretty reliable. You can see that. Sometimes if um, we're taking an alternate or whatever, the first person will just leave a little note in the middle of the trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Or sometimes they're just drawing smiley face. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty primitive ways to communicate, but we made it work. Yeah. And I take it that there weren't enough people on the trails at that point that one person's ultras didn't start getting mistaken for somebody else's completely different party's ultras? Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, most days on the CDT, the only people we saw were for our group. Okay. Especially in, in the more south you go, the more people you'll encounter. Uh, but there's just like no day hikers out in Montana or Wyoming. It's just kind of too remote. Did you run into any issues once you got down to Colorado with storms or snow or anything like that? Um, yeah. Let's see. So it started to get pretty cold in Colorado. I think I entered the state. We entered the state around the beginning of September. And the goal was to get through the state by the end of September, which worked out fine. We went through Wolf Creek Pass, which is near Pagosa Spring, which actually I work pretty close to there now. It's kind of cool, but um, it's, you know, I don't know, 11 or 12,000 feet. And I think four or five days after we walked through that pass, they got eight or 10 inches of snow. Oh, wow. um, and then, yeah, and then it just started to get really cold, like teens, 20s at night on the mountain. And uh, this is uh, when we got to the San Juan 
right? You have the San Juans or you have the Creek Cutoff, which is the lower elevation cutoff. The San Juans, like you're up on the on the peaks, on the passes, like 11 to 12,000 feet most of the time. Like, it's a really beautiful section. Um, but a lot of people, northbound and southbound, will skip in a favor of the Creek Cutoff just because, you know, weather is so unpredictable up there. And so when we got there, we had to pick up like a kind of a bigger group that hot legs and didgeridoo. We kept seeing them in the trail journal. Finally met them in Leadville uh, when we met this other groucho. So we had a bunch of people in Colorado, all southbounders. Uh, so we like see hot legs signing in at the trail journal. Like, oh, I wonder who this girl is. What's so the dude? <laughs> but like the most ultralight, ultralight person I've ever met. He's basically with six pounds and ounces and like his sleeping mat was basically like a piece of cardboard like it wasn't car it was plastic but essentially a piece of cardboard like the r value of cardboard <laughs> so small and like yeah it's funny dude it's do i guess carry the do on cpt uh they were both finishing up their triple crown so we yeah kind of got the group together with Groucho and uh everybody else so my original plan had been, if it calls precipitation at all through the San Juan, I'm going to take the creek cut off. And when we got there, it was calling for precipitation all week through the San Juan. And so I should have listened to my gut, but, <laughs> uh, you know, my gut was like, yeah, don't go up to the mountains when it's, you know, essentially freezing and calling precipitation. And I was like, guys, yeah, if we go up there, worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to be just warm enough so that it's not snowing, and then we're going to get all this stuff soaked, and it's going to be wind, and we're going to get high elevation, super cold, and we're going to, like, die up there. And everyone's like, ah, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So I got, you know, like, peer pressure into going through the San Juan. I don't know. It, I still made the decision. It's nobody mm-hmm. else's decision. But every, the whole group decided to go through. And, of course, exactly that happened. We had, like, two or three days of just, it was, like, this mix of rain and freezing rain. And I remember one night we were coming up over this path. It was like at 1,500 feet. And then there's a ridge walk for a couple miles after that. And we're trying to push up and over this to get down to a little lower spot to camp. But it's slow going and it got dark. So now it's like freezing rain coming sideways into my face, probably 30, 40 mile per hour wind. And it's dark. And I have my headlamp on. And it's really hard to see because there's like a glare going into my frozen glasses. And the trail is just, you know, one of those tiny trails that are cut into the side of the mountain. And so, you know, up on the terrain, up on the city in Colorado, where you're above tree lines, it's kind of an alpine desert. So it's yeah. kind of, and I lost the trail up there. Now I'm just like wandering around on the side of this mountain, uh, knowing there's a cliff somewhere with a ridge and just trying to follow my little gut hooks to try to find the the trail back and that was one of the moments you know, like this is really really dangerous because if I had you know I had no ability to set up my tent right there or anything so if I didn't have shelter if I stopped moving I would go hypothermic within yeah. half an hour easily uh, so it's like you know there's no even if I hit my spot I'm gonna die before someone gets up there to get me. So the only thing I can do is just keep moving. So I just, like, you know, felt the panic. Like, okay, I don't have to give it to the panic. I can just keep moving. I know the trail is this direction probably. 
I should kind of walk it that way in the dark, um, like half blind. And I finally saw the headlamps of the group, and like they have just pitched their figure uh, you had a big tarp, just a tarp over, and we were still like at 11, 500 feet. And just wind was just going crazy, and everyone just cuddled under there. We made a bunch of bottles of uh, hot, like filled up counties with hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, keep it warm and yeah it was really really miserable really dangerous and that is probably the most dangerous situation I've been on not. and the next day so they hot lake nerdy you decided to be on and finish out the marathons to Agricagosa and then we decided to bail off and it was really cool because we didn't really have like maps of this trail but we were just able to look at the telephone and say, like, okay, we could go down, you know, into the valley, through the drainage, come up to the highway, probably hitch. Um, and I don't think I would have been comfortable doing that if I hadn't done all that bushwhacking up in like Montana. But like you had done so much bushwhacking, so you understood how terrain worked and how like, yeah, this looks fine on the telephone map, but it was probably just bushwhacked down the mountain and then come out to this drainage and follow this river. And we'll get to the road, and that's what we did. And yeah, it's cool to be able to do that because that's uh, really important for safety. But if you're not comfortable, like going off trail, maybe you'd just be stuck on the mountain. So I think it's it's kind of cool how the DVD will teach you that kind of skill. It teaches you how to save yourself. Yeah, exactly. And just be comfortable, like going off trail, which yeah, you know, I will, definitely wasn't after the AT. It's like, oh, I got to follow the trail. If I don't have a trail, what do I do? How did that, your... was, that was really good. Yeah. How did your gears switch out when you were heading into the San Juans? I mean, I'm I'm sure you guys probably weren't prepared, prepared for, you know, as cold as it got, but I'm assuming that you switched out some gear um, or went with heavier bags or, you know, clothes or whatever. Um, yeah. What, what was that? Not really. <laughs> yeah, through my gears, we kind of done it Alex still had his six pound whatever gear that he'd been using through the whole summer. And I don't know if he would have survived one of those nights if he didn't boil hot water for us. Like, his mm-hmm. stuff is very uninsulated. He probably would have lived, but he probably would have been a lot more miserable. But, uh, yeah. A good case of I, frostbite. I bought a, what's that? I said a good case of frostbite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the only thing I changed, I had I bought a belly and lead bill. Okay. <laughs> those, I don't know, those are like every hiker wants bellies because they're only made in and only sold yeah. by Bill in the Zoe form, yeah. So I added that. Um, I sh- really should, I really wish I had brain pants, but I didn't have brain pants. And I really wish I had plugs, like waterproof plugs, but I didn't mm-hmm. have those. So my hands and my legs were super cold. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I wish I should have just worn like pants to the whole DDT. I don't know if you saw in the videos how cut up my legs were at some point. Yep. But like, yep. yeah, like, and I kept saying I need pants. I just never got pants. <laughs> and then it got so cold. I was like, I need pants. But I still didn't get pants. But so I, I really wish I would have just hiked with pants. That would have, um, and also rain pants. Because I wasn't used mm-hmm. to having rain pants either. But yeah, those have been really important. Um, otherwise, like the bags, the, the tents were still okay they they were warm enough to keep us alive they weren't really warm enough to keep us comfortable but you just you know you wear everything you have and 
you can at least get some sleep and um, and then <laughs> good day when you move and you can stay warm. But yeah. um, probably for safety's sake, I probably should have had definitely more layers, heavier stuff. But yeah, I don't know. You get into weird, weird states of mind when you're hiking and you fixate on the goal and fixate on being very light. <laughs> well, and I also think that considering everything that you've done already on the trail or trails, there's a level of confidence that, you know, this won't be any worse than, than some of these other experiences. And so it'll all be fine in the end. Yeah, exactly. Like that thing, like, well, you'll figure it out. Like we got pretty close to hypothermia, so we figured out how to bail off the mountain. Yeah. Like whatever you need to do, you'll just, you'll do it. But in retrospect, I, I should have had more warm layer. That was, we were really cutting it close there. Like mm-hmm. between, you know, danger and stupidity is pretty close there. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, um, what is that? The perfect triangle? Danger meets stupidity meets, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like this unwillingness to stop. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely yep. gotten through how you're into trouble when they walk into conditions that their gear is not suited for just because they need to finish, right? Yep. It's true. Yeah. No, and that, yeah. So that then while we were up there, it's so cold that we were afraid our filters are going to freeze and we also didn't want to stop the filter water. So mm-hmm. we just drank out a lot of uh, streams, like that filter, because you could see like when the force is coming top of the mountain, it's really okay. Uh, everyone else is okay, but then I got Giardia in Trauma, New Mexico, which was right after uh, San Juan. And that was the time I did listen to my gut. Because once the day everybody else was leaving to go back out the mountain, I was like, I feel kind of a little bit feverish, a little bit sick. I better stay back here. I don't think it's going to get to go up. Even though I could probably be okay. So then that's when it got really bad. And it snowed like 10 inches on the mountain that night on them. And like by that night and the next morning, like I couldn't walk a quarter mile with no weight, like at the bottom, not even on the mountain. Like I was growing up, just, you know, couldn't keep any food, any fluids down. And I don't know what I would have done if I was on the mountain at that time. We would have been about 10 or 15 miles in. I don't know if I, especially since it's snow, like, I could have hiked out through that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that was, yeah, so then I just decided to call it because, like, uh, I was just getting sicker and sicker. I lost, you know, going home and lost 16 pounds in two weeks. Um, oh, wow. Just okay. the sickest yeah, I've ever been. Uh, but yeah, for me, like that was such a simple decision. Like I'm not going to risk my health and my life to try to finish this hike because who cares about finishing? I just, I care much more about being able to, you know, have, have my life after that. So I think that was, it was different this time with CDT. Like I didn't have this, I think I guess I'd already proven to myself that I could through hiking. But Mm -hmm. then I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I'm tired, I'm sick, so let's just go home and we'll finish this out later. Uh, and that was a really good decision. It sounds like a good decision. It was it was good that you listened to yourself on that one. Yeah. Now yeah. if if I understand what you're saying, the reason you think you got Giardia was 
you guys were at higher elevation and because of a fear of having the filters freezing, you were drinking straight out of the source. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. We were just drinking straight out of the stream, whatever. Yeah. And Nobody in one situation you got but... unlucky. <laughs> yeah. I think my immune system was already compromised. I had already had like the flu or something for a bit. Yeah. That last one, it was just cold and sick and tired and, I was ready to jump up. It does sound like, I mean, that is, that is the trail, you know, I mean, at some yeah. point it, it does wear you down. Yeah. I, I feel like like a thousand to 1500 miles or like three months is about the perfect amount of time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, we met this guy called legend in Chama. He had started, he started, where did he do? He did the, Pacific Northwest Trail that runs from like Washington out to Glacier in Montana. And then from there, so that's about a thousand miles. And then he hiked the CDC down to where we were in Chama. Um, and then he was going to continue on down, hook into the Grand Enchantment Trail, like eight or 900 miles through New Mexico, and then hook into the Arizona Trail, another 800 miles back to Mexico. So it was like a 4,000 mile year for him. And when we met him, he had just done like a 24 hour thing where he, you know, 48 hours of hiking where he climbed something like 10 or 12 14ers, just throwing them all together, just kept going. So his level of whatever, <laughs> however much hiking is fun, it's definitely different than mine. So it was just kind of yeah. crazy hearing his, his adventure and what he had planned to do that year. Yeah, like when we're, 12, 14 years in a 48-hour period. It's crazy. Was he having any, or did he talk about having any issues like what you or you guys were having in terms of soreness, stiffness, feet, foot pain, you know, that type of thing? No, we didn't talk about talk about mm-hmm. that. Uh, he's, I'm not exactly sure how what other trails he's done, but he obviously had done a lot of trails that, Interesting on the DDT, like I didn't experience any pain at all, like I did on the AT. Like I didn't, yeah, my feet were maybe sore every once in a while, but like nothing in my joints, no stress fractures. Like I felt really good, pretty comfortable throughout the whole thing. Uh, I think that was one, my body adapted and two, my pack was much lighter, even though still on the heavier side, it was much lighter than it was on the AT. Um, so it is interesting, your body definitely adapts. Yeah, even though we were doing three high mileage days, it was no pain at all. Interesting. Like, what was what was your pack and what was your base weight? So, I think like my base weight without my camera stuff was about twelve pounds, and then I had about seven pounds of camera stuff. So that was like nineteen, and then I carried a lot of food, so it's probably three to four pounds of food per day, probably closer to three, and then with water, so like. My, the heaviest my pack was was still like fifty some pounds when we went through the bob because that was a hundred seventy five mile carry. But more generally, it was probably upper thirties when I would leave a town. So compared to like upper fifties on the AT, so pretty big difference. Now, what, speaking of your camera and and your your seven pounds of camera, what were you carrying? So I had my. Sony A7S2, which is a mirrorless full-frame camera, and then I have like a tripod for that, 
I've had my GoPro, and then I have like batteries for all of those, plus chargers, plus cords, and then like my kind of big twenty thousand milliamp hour future rechargeable uh, whatever battery pack. Yeah, and I've been carrying my my DSLR on my shoulder strap, using a Creative Pro, Capture Pro, Peak, oh, Peak Design Capture Pro. So it just allows you to um, put your camera into your, onto your shoulder, which is like, is the only way to carry that camera. If you have it in your bag, you're just never going to take it out and take photos with it. So I just have that hanging off my, off my shoulder, which I did that on the AT as well, and it was super uncomfortable, and I had a lot of pain, but then on the DDD, it was fine. So, like, your shoulder will eventually adapt to that as well. What, now, what was your pack again? Uh, so I used a Osprey 48 liter Exo. Okay. And, yeah, and I had a 65 liter Osprey on the AT. And I found, you know, even with a CDG, even with like that 175 mile carry, like I could fit everything in that 48 liter by granted. So definitely, I wouldn't go any bigger. Okay. How was it? Um, it's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Last year, then my phone like froze up for five minutes. <laughs> no worries. No worries. You were just you were just talking about when we when we broke up. You were talking about your pack and having gone down to the forty eight liter and and that or the Exos basically, which I think is the forty eight liter, and not there was no need for anything more. I mean, it, it was more than sufficient room wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yep, I, I did the 48 liter. I was concerned about the size because CDT is more remote and you have longer carries, but it worked out just fine. And, um, uh, the other, what did the other people have? Like, I think Bye Bye had a, did she have the Z pack? Like, most other people were using kind of the more ultralight, uh, right. backpack type of lights and that kind of stuff. And they all seemed fine with it. Uh, so I think, you know, you you don't need a huge pack even for the CDP. I'm trying to think if you said it. What did you lose between the AT and the CDT that helped allow you to get into that smaller pack so comfortably? Oh, huh. Yeah, that's a good question. What did I... Just less clothes and... Definitely less clothes. Although, I don't think I had a bunch, but I just didn't have any spare clothes on the CDT, mm-hmm. and like, no, my sleeping bag got smaller, um, my tent got smaller, it went from a two-person to a one-person, which I actually will probably go back to a two-person, just because that extra room is nice. What was your tent, what was your sleeping bag? They were both Nemo. Okay. So, yeah, Nemo, Nemo makes really good stuff, like, it's really well-engineered. And if you work in the outdoors industry, they give you like a 40% rodeo. So nice. I don't know. Definitely check that out. It's really cool. Uh, do you remember what uh, Nemo bag you were using? I think it was a, it had some Egyptian or no. Okay. No, I don't know. It's just a 15 degree bag, okay. <laughs> but it'll be their, their light one. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to delve in, I'm going to delve even deeper. And, and the reason that I'm sure. going to delve even deeper is 
probably a sleeping bag is sort of the next thing that I need to, to get. And, um, I am a side or stomach sleeper. And I know a lot of the mummy bags aren't great for that type of thing or specifically a side sleeper. Um, and so I'm just wondering, how do you sleep? Are you, are you back side stomach? Yeah, I, I sleep on my back, but I think those, take a look at those bags, emo bags. I think they're specifically built so that for you can sleep on your side or on your stomach because they're, um, yeah, they're cut in a different shape and okay. their website explains it pretty well. But yeah, I would definitely check that out. Uh, they have these cool little bits that you can like unzip them and it makes the bag 10 degrees warmer or cooler or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cooler. <laughs> and that was sufficiently warm enough for most of the most of the trail trails. Most of the trail, I was definitely in Colorado. I had like all of my layers on going to sleep, and it's right. still a little bit chilly. So yeah. I, I probably could have comfortably gone down to a zero degree bag during that time. But yeah, if you're trying to find the perfect balance of like weight versus warmth. I think that 15 degree is pretty good. The CDG is, it's just cold, much colder than the other trails. Like we got snow in Wyoming in August. Um, <laughs> and yeah, in Nantec Pole, which is, you can't go like 11, 500 feet in August, my water bottle froze overnight. So like oh, it Jesus. gets cold. So yeah, I think people coming from the other trails tend to underestimate how cold it gets. Because there are a lot of people switching out bags. And I don't know anyone that had a warmer than 20. So it seemed like 20 degrees was like the fair minimum. And then a lot of people did like zero degree bags. Pretty happy with that. So staring mm-hmm. hey, up inside of one would be important. Got it. Okay. Speaking of water uh, or filtering and what have you, I just was thinking about this. Because in watching your videos, like a lot of people I see when they're filtering water will filter water into a second bottle or a second bladder of some sort. Yeah. Um, but you were, it looked like we're literally just filling up your bottle, putting the filter on it, and then just drinking straight from the filter. Um, is yep, that- yep, it just, yeah, it just takes time. So then, <laughs> you know, because you can drink as you walk, but mm-hmm. if you're filtering into another bottle, you got to sit there and filter. So that's just all we did. Just, um, Think as you walk, and I don't know. Maybe I think if you're careful about it, you shouldn't get any contaminated water in your mouth. Just make sure. Oh, definitely carry extra O-rings for those colliers because those will fall out, and then then you'll just get dirty water all you know down your face because it leaks out the side. But yeah, carry carry a drink is the preferred method for me. Now, what what was the Sawyer squeeze that you were using? Was it just the regular or a mini or? Yeah, it's the regular. Definitely the mini's flow is just too slow. Like a lot of people get those and then throw them away and switch out to the regular one. Yeah, just sorry, something something that I noticed in your videos that I, I hadn't actually seen people really doing, though I don't know why. I mean it's six of one half dozen of the other at the end of the day, but one of the actually one of the other things that I was noticing about your your rig from the videos was you had this uh, front pouch or chest pouch that you had added. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I used that on my bike trip to store stuff. And then I was like, Oh, I wonder if I can just attach this to my backpack. So it's just a V pack little Cuban fiber bag. Um, I just attached it to my backpack straps and 
I would just keep like snacks in there. I keep my camera little, uh, I think it's a Pelican pod. I forget the name of it. It's just this little folding tripod. That way I didn't have to dig for it in my backpack when I wanted to set up my tripod on my camera. So like my food, uh, my phone would go in there and my bear spray would go in there. So <laughs> it's just really, really convenient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and like you said, that was just like a little Z pack. A pouch that had either clips or something on the edges or on the top edges that you could just hook in. Yep, yep, just a little deep back. Yep, exactly, just little clips, and I just tie those together ends of the clip to my backpack strap. And so when I want to take it off, I just unclip one side, and that allows me to like get out of my backpack. Did your pack have hip belts as well, or hip pouches, pockets? No, I don't know why okay. the Exos don't have hip pouches, but it did. But, so that front pouch was pretty essential for me then because, yeah. like, yeah, so, like, one of the big lessons on the CDP I learned is, like, if you want to do a lot of miles, you just have to stop less for breaks. So I think the most I did was in Yellowstone where we just walked 19 miles without stopping. And, like, that was so fast because we never stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, if you do that, you got to just be eating on the go. So just stuff a bunch of stuff bars or whatever in my little front pouch. And, like on the AT, I was stopping every hour to eat because that's what we did in the Army when we would do rock marches and stuff. And that just added so much time to the day. Yeah. So yeah, that was a big thing. Just don't stop to eat and you'll do a lot more miles. Or eat while you're, while you're walking, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Eat while you're walking. And again, what, what were you, so you had your, your, Bigger meals throughout the day, but what were you snacking on throughout the day? Uh, so I ended up with this like mixture of nuts and like potato chips and a little bit of cranberries in just a Ziploc bag. I'd eat a lot of those and then I'd eat a lot of like foot bars. Okay. Uh, my, that's probably like half my calories or more. Is there anything that you will never eat again? Uh, I don't know if there's anything. I just never carry peanut butter on trail because I know I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> I it's saw you carry a thing of peanut butter uh, there for a while. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, in the beginning, I was like, okay, peanut butter is good calories. I'll just send them big jars and have my calories. And, like, I still have the full jar. So, like, all right, mm-hmm. I get no more of this. Yeah, it, it seemed to be, like, your, your luxury item that you never used. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like a lot of people love it. So, I don't know. I don't like it, but yeah, really nothing, nothing that I hate. Yeah, nothing comes to mind. What was your, what or what would you consider to be your either your best time on trail or your most memorable time on trail? Oh, hmm. good question. It's a lot of those, but they all revolve. Yeah, they all revolve around people. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know. There's a lot of cool views, and I remember those through my pictures, but all those really good times are with people. And so we had a lot of fun in Colorado. We um, went to Groucho. So Groucho lives in Leadville, so he just had a bunch of us hikers over, and we, like, played hiker trivia. They made us this whole Big Jeopardy hiker <laughs> trivia thing. They played that. They were, like, I don't know, maybe a good 15 people there. Like, some of them were... Other hiking friends you knew that just came came to hang out like they weren't doing CDC, uh, but then there was just yeah a bunch of us from CDC there. That was a really fun night. 
And then, so then we kind of all hiked together as a big group after that. And then we got into Pagosa Spring, uh, right before the San Juan and just hung out with, uh, a guy called Let It Be. So he, he's an older dude. He's hiked 33,000 miles now. He's done the Triple Crown three times. He's working on his fourth hike of, you know, each, each of those trails. Yeah. Uh, Really cool guy. He has a house there. He has a little bunk house. He lets hikers stay in. So we just all hung out of his house. So uh, interesting. He has like this kitchen. And then I think it's a closet for the kitchen, but he put a bathroom in there. And so that's the bathroom <laughs> all the hikers use. And there's just a shower curtain that goes across the bathroom. And like, they're like, somebody be in the kitchen cooking. And then you'll need to use the bathroom. You just have to walk through the kitchen, open the shower curtain. And use the toilet right there while they're like a foot away from you using the kitchen. So, like, what are you, you know, that's just kind of a funny aside for what it means, house. But yeah, it was really fun. We stayed there, I think, two nights. And uh, Springs is a really fun town. And we just had like a big bonfire and uh, hung out. And yeah, it's, it's really all those memories of people and doing fun stuff with others that stick out after the show's done and not all the. Not all the views or whatever. In in your videos, you you had a recording of one night. You guys were there was like whatever four of you, four or five of you, um, around the campfire, and you guys were telling ghost stories. Oh yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was up on uh, some like old fire lookout tower in Montana, which now the Forest Service will rent out. So you can like pay I think thirty bucks a night to go sleep up in the fire tower. It's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> But we didn't pay. We just showed up like, oh, look at this thing. So there was a family there. So they let us use some of their firewood and gave us beers. And mm-hmm. there's like, yeah, like a big old storm cell passing by on the next mountain range over. So that was like really ominous. You could see it flashing the distance. But they, uh, yeah, I think Heather told us about the night of the Grizzly, which was in Glacier in the 70s where. Yes. Yeah, apparently the Grizzlies, for people back then, which just like feed the grizzlies They're like hey tourists come look at these bears we'll throw trash out and now you can go watch the bears eat the trash and apparently the bears got really angry at people because there was like glass and other stuff mostly i don't know how because this sounds a little bit far-fetched like the bears like got angry and then premeditatively murdered these people but when i had the grizzly yeah the like there were multiple grizzly attacks on backpackers in glacier and they ate a few people <laughs> It's pretty crazy, yeah. It's, it's a mixture of truth and urban legend? I think so. I haven't Googled that story, but it's like a, it's a thing. It definitely happened. I don't know how yeah. much, yeah. What's the bear's motivations are, I don't know how you would know <laughs> that. But <laughs> Nobody went and interviewed the bear? Right, yeah. <laughs> Should have interviewed the bears. But, oh, that reminds me of this other dude we met, Mega Man. Uh, met him in, like, southern montana he was going northbound and he had this encounter with an adolescent grizzly in the greater yellowstone area where he was walking alone and this grizzly bear like comes up to him and starts like sniffing around like real curious about him and then so he starts backing up he puts on a patch of ice bear charges him and then he pops up and like screams real loud and the bear backs off and he says he like grabbed a big rock and he was gonna hit the with it if he got too close because he didn't have bear spray at the time. And then, so like, apparently the bear just kept like stalking him and uh, charging him every once in a while. 
and he was like screaming for help and he thought he was like for sure gonna get eaten by this bear and then he told me uh he did what he used to do when he used to run away from cops he did something that the cops wouldn't want to do but he jumped down a 30-foot cliff uh thinking this bear wouldn't want to jump down the cliff with him he somehow like didn't get hurt from that and somehow the bear still made it down the cliff still with a chase them and i don't i didn't understand how he finally got away from the bear but he eventually did get away from the bear and he wasn't eaten but I think the craziest part about that story is when we met him in Montana, he still wasn't carrying bear spray. <laughs> so I don't know if he thought, they're like, this is my one encounter and now I'm bear free or I don't know. But yeah. Now just, I'm safe. I'm really, yeah. Glad we didn't have any scary encounters like that there. Yeah. Or, or, uh, cougar mountain lion encounters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that night when we were telling the ghost stories, um, he actually saw a big tomcat that was just watching us. And, like, when he saw it, the tom, like, just ran away. Um, he said he saw, like, the tail come up and down and said it was, like, a big cat. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. They were just sitting there watching us at the campfire. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm sure that that happens more often than we are aware of. It's just a good thing that we are not aware. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was, I met a guy in, on the Arizona Trail. He was, like, um, limping into camp. He was an older guy in the first trail he had done. And he was, uh, said he was limping into camp one night. There was just uh, a sound lion, like, stalking him and not even trying to hide himself. Like, he said he just, wow. every time he turned around, he could see it. And he said he was just so tired and whatever, like, he didn't care. Uh, but he thinks he was following because he, you know, he's like an injured prey. He's limping mm-hmm. to camp. Um, it was a yeah, smaller guy too. So, yeah, I never really thought about mountain lions before, but they're actual lions, and they could definitely eat you if they wanted to. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They could. They're they're not generally as big as the bears and particularly the grizzlies, but they have been known right. to attack. Right. Yeah. And if they attack you, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about that we should? No, I feel like you covered a lot. Oh, well, I, yeah. Let's go a little more into kind of these outdoor jobs. Like, since doing conservation for, I've just learned about, you know, there's so many different wilderness ranger, outdoor fire jobs with, like, federal government and nature conservancy. Um, in Durango, there's these wilderness therapy um, guys who go out eight days on, six days off, and like this whole world of outdoor jobs that I never knew existed. And it's not just, not just like summer jobs for while you're in college that like you can make mm-hmm. a career and a living out of it. Um, hmm. So I think that's really cool. And it's, a lot of it, you know, like if you like through hiking, you're going to love this stuff and it'll actually pay you. You still get to be outside. And uh, I think it's just really cool. Cause you know, I think a lot of the reason I continue to hike and other people can see me if you're still looking to be for that adventure outside and, and to be out there and have camaraderie. And, um, what I've really enjoyed about this year is like I've had all that, um, up in Montana and then down here in Colorado, like we get to go have an adventure all the time and actually make a living. And then you have six days off to go explore and do more trails and stuff. So it's a really cool, really cool way to live 
And I think, uh, yeah, it would be interesting for a lot of people who are interested in through hiking, but not like you don't have to work these miserable jobs in between your hikes. You can actually do cool stuff outside and then you enjoy it. I will, I'll have to circle back with you to get the, the websites or the, the, the full names of the organizations. Cause I think you, you kind of, you had nature conservancy, you had like forest service, I think. And then I don't know if the States have something. And then was there something with the CCC? Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a lot of conservation cores around like Montana conservation Corps, Southwest California has a conservation Corps, So those are okay. good ways to get your foot in the door. And then there's just tons of different federal jobs and, um, the hiring process is the real pain in the butt, so they're always short on people. So, like, if you know how to apply, you could probably get a job, but that's the hard part is going to their process. But, yeah, there's a full job, like the Wilderness Ranger, where you're just out for eight days at a time, hiking 100 miles in the backcountry, and that's your job. And you get six days off, and, like, all the federal benefits. So, pretty sweet. Cool. Okay, yeah, I will definitely circle back with you on, yeah, on that. Yeah, that's good. Where where can people find you uh, if they want to follow your continuing adventures uh, and or have questions that they want to follow up with you on? Yeah, probably the best way would be on Instagram. Just uh, my handle is at Jack Jones HQ Hotel Golf. That's what I keep up with the most. Okay. Yeah, just just do Instagram, and then I've got my videos on YouTube. If you search for Healthy Gamer or Continental Side Trail, that pops up with the videos. And hopefully I'll be able to actually finish out the rest of the hike at some point on the pod. So, so the intent is to get the rest of them up uh, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I think I might make it like a state-by-state thing and mm-hmm. do more of a informational, like, here's Wyoming and all the cool spots in Wyoming. Right. Yeah. Now, one thing that I, like looking down at my notes, one thing that I wanted to circle back with you on really quickly was the fasting, because that is obviously not something you generally hear people, hikers, uh, talking about doing unless it's forced upon them. They're not voluntarily yeah. doing it. Right. Um, yeah, so I've done intermittent fasting for years now, and essentially I just skip breakfast, and I eat a late lunch, and then I eat a big dinner. Uh, I just found that my body works much better when I do that. And there's a lot of a lot of different studies that show there's a lot of different benefits to fasting, like um, your hormone uh, expression improves, you'll release more testosterone, more growth hormone, uh, your brain function improves. And I think it, for the theories are, is because it's an evolutionary adaptation because we human beings that hunter gathers there's kind of this beast and famine cycle and you don't always have to buy a food but your body is adapted to once you know you start to become hungry it releases all these beneficial hormones to then give you food to go find more food and I don't know I've just found it to be pretty true and pretty effective and it keeps my energy levels up and it keeps my like fat levels down. So I'm still I definitely don't do it as much on trail, but especially if I come out of town day, I might just skip breakfast. Or if I'm yeah feeling sluggish or something on trail, I might just skip breakfast again. Uh, but it's definitely a lot less. And as I get along, I, I can be more and be more do less mm-hmm. fasting. And so when you are fasting, are you doing that morning shake that you were talking about or not? 
Um, no, no, it'll just be, yeah. So like if I'm not on trail, I might wait until 1 PM to eat, but if I'm on trail instead of eating right when I wake up, maybe I eat at 8 AM, uh, two or three hours after I get up. Got uh, so, so yeah, a shorter fasting window, but still try and give myself a little bit of time with an empty stomach before I start building up for the day. I got it. Okay. So it's not, it's not like eat breakfast and then get on the trail and start hiking. It's get up, get everything packed, start hiking, and then eat once you're into it. Yep, exactly. Yep, that's my typical schedule. Very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I really enjoyed doing this. Show notes and links for Jack's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Jack for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. If you like what we're doing here, we'd also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. Now I'll see you on the trail.